welcome back to the Get With The Grove podcast. I'm Maddie. I'm Malcolm. And I'm Zoha. And for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about how to support Black and racialized communities. For this week's episode, we have a guest YA joining us, Noor. Do you want to say hi? Hi, everyone. Um, for this episode, Noor is joining virtually. So just a heads up, if it sounds a little bit different, it's because she is not in person with us. But we are very grateful to have Noor join us for this week's episode. Mm-hmm. Excited to be here. <laughs> so I'm just going to start off with a quick little summary of who are black and racialized communities. So note that it is important to be aware of the language you use when addressing a person. So if you ever feel unsure of a person's of how a person identifies, it is best to ask them directly. Racialized is a term used to include communities of people that are non-Caucasian in race or non-white in color. This term is being used to identify and acknowledge that the barriers visible minorities face are routed in historical racial prejudice. So before we get into the conversation that we um, sort of have kind of planned for today, I want to cover some terminology that is important for folks to be aware of, starting with visible minority. This refers to someone who is non-white in color. This term can be misleading and ignores the fact that barriers resulting in a minority are not a result of the race appearance or shortcoming. We will get more into detail when we get into our conversation. Um, another one is racialized. Now, instead, we can use the term racialized to acknowledge these barriers and not define a race based on having reduced, nu- reduced numbers due to these barriers. Discrimination is an action against a group of people based on their race, age, sex, gender, sexual orientation, etc. Now, prejudice is a belief or feeling or emotion um, that someone has towards a group of people based on prejudices and stereotypes instead of actual experiences. Lastly, tokenism is the act of including and presenting members of marginalized communities simply to seem more inclusive. Yeah. So for this week's episode, um, I can confidently say that I am a Caucasian female and Malcolm. I am a Caucasian male. And we are joined with two members of the community who could fit into the minority minority group. Yeah, right? the you wanna... community. Yeah. Um, in terms of race. Um, yeah, I would like to acknowledge that I may come across as um, white presenting due to different uh, reasons, but I, I do identify as a South Asian woman. Um, and we are also, of course, joined with Noor, who is... Would you like to yeah. share? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would also say that I am a visible minority and I um, am South Asian in heritage and ethnicity and race. Yeah. So I'm sure that all of us have had many different experiences in life. And from that, because of the way that we present, the way that we appear Mm -hmm. to society and, you know, cultures. So I kind of want to open the floor, talk about maybe what are some things that either Zoha or Noor, have you kind of experienced that due to your how yeah. you present um like i mentioned i 
folks who are like sort of unaware of the different dimensions of race may see me and may assume that I'm white because of my close proximity to whiteness. And it really does showcase how differently you're treated when you have that proximity to whiteness in a predominantly white country. Mm-hmm. Um, but folks don't realize that race is super nuanced and it's also like very much intersectional and every all my experiences are a reflection of my very unique identity. Mm-hmm. So it often is sometimes offensive because I'm, I am very, you know, proudly South Asian, represent my culture and my identity. So when folks, you know, mis, I guess, misjudge yeah. my identity, it kind of does, it is, it is offensive. Um, and of course, that this experience may differ from that of Noor, but it was really interesting to reflect on this specific topic and realize, like, my experience will never be the same as my counterparts because of my proximity to whiteness. And I think this is something that we kind of need to, as a collective, need to reflect on because why is that the case? Why am I, why why should I receive a specific amount of privilege over my peers who identify with the same racial or um, cultural background and they don't? Yeah. Noor, how about you? It's so interesting that Zoha is um, sharing her experience, like identifying as a South Asian woman, but also acknowledging that um, sometimes people may perceive her and make a presumption that she is away from nothing and how that experience is so different. Um, I appear and am perceived as a visible minority, but I also identify as one. Um, so my experience, I feel, is very different. But even within people who look like me um the experience is so different so it's really important not to make a generalization of how someone's lived experience might be even if they identify with the same race same culture same ethnicity mm-hmm. um i think in diverse spaces which i've had the privilege of living in the majority of my life um it's a little bit different because that inclusive piece always mostly feels present Whereas in some spaces that are maybe more um, Caucasian dominant, there might be feelings of um, uncertainty of if you'll be accepted or if you are in that room just as tokenistic um, young person and if your voice will be valued the same. Um, But in that case, allyship is so helpful because you realize there are all these supportive people in the room. And also, yes, your race is a huge part of you um but that doesn't devalue anything that you have to say diversity is a strength in all aspects and um that's the perspective that I try to keep when I am in spaces where I am notably a diverse person yeah it's really interesting that you mention like having been raised in a very diverse um area because I mean we're from the same city so <laughs> um we share we have that yeah, in common I- as well um like, I grew up in a very diverse area as well, like, where, you know, I went to school and folks knew, like, I was Muslim, I was, I was uh, Desi, which is South Asian, I, I celebrate specific religion, religious holidays, I observe um, culture, certain um, cultural traditions that, you know, these folks were aware of that because um, we had such a, such a large population of 
um, a a diverse population. But I would sometimes, like, it sometimes felt like, and I would argue, it created this sense of, like, um, it, it was very much we were living in sort of a bubble. And when you leave that bubble... It's mm-hmm. like a really huge reality check, which often is really difficult to navigate. Because when you leave Mississauga, uh, which is very diverse, um, or you're, wherever you live that is very diverse, and you go to a place like you know Guelph or Fergus or um, Palmerston or Erin, mm-hmm. um, you're made aware of the fact that folks do not have that same level of the same level of awareness that you may have been raised to believe. Yeah. And when that bubble kind of pops, it's really hard. Um, yeah. It's yeah. it's interesting you mention a bubble because back when I was in grade school, I was in the complete opposite. I was in a bubble of I was mm-hmm. my school was almost entirely Caucasian males yeah. and females and it wasn't until grade seven that I met my best friend who moved from Nigeria and he was the first black person that I knew who I actually talked to and became friends with. Mm-hmm. And then I, I I formed a deep connection with him and it was like I stepped outside of that bubble when I left grade right. school right into high school yeah. where I joined the basketball team and mm-hmm. a lot of my teammates were also black men. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a great thing. I, I got a, a huge I got to meet a huge amount of diversity when I went to high school, and especially when I came to Guelph, I got to see even more. And it really validates what you just mentioned because I, I can even admit yeah. myself I was in a bubble when I was yeah. younger, and I knew nothing about diversity yeah. except for what my parents told me. They tried right. to educate me as best they could, but yeah. just the people that surrounded me. Yeah, experiences are different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Kind of going off of this topic, um, I want to shift into barriers that minorities, black and racialized communities might face. So one of the main issues is a lack of representation. So minorities and racialized people are extremely underrepresented in positions of power and influence. This in turn can lead to the creation of narratives that do not represent cultures and practices. So I'm going to shift the table again. Zoe, have you ever experienced um, or can you share some barriers that you've um, dealt with and how you kind of navigated that? Um, it's interesting because as, as someone who like identifies as an, um, a person of disability, it's really odd because my disability really does overtake my experiences of being part of a racialized minority because, well, I'm not going to go into detail, but um, just visibly, it, I'm, I, I, it overtakes that experience. So I, I haven't personally been through the experience of being um, discriminated towards due to my um, racial identity, but I have witnessed my, my dad go through it like firsthand. And it's interesting because he will never admit it. And I don't know if that has to do with the fact that he's just ignorant to the fact that he's being discriminated towards or if, you know, he's just, it's Mm self-preservation. But he came to this country um, with a, you know, a a professional degree and had to kind of start from the bottom. And very recently... um, he went through something that, you know, really, for me as as his daughter, really highlighted that, you know, as 
much prestige in your profession as you accomplish, it does not, it will never overtake the fact that you are seen as lesser than. Mm -hmm. You will always, you know, be a cog in the machine, especially as a racialized individual. And they will not hesitate to take that um, power from you the moment they see fit. And it just, it, it highlighted how limited autonomy uh, racialized folks have in this in this country um, and it was kind of disheartening but he persevered and I'm proud of him for that and um, I think moving forward it's something he's learning about as well how you know and as an older adult um, who came to this country as a very older adult you know he he wasn't really aware of like the disparity in the opportunities that he may face and even if he was aware he didn't acknowledge it because again like self-preservation you don't want to admit that to yourself yeah. right because you work so hard and you don't really believe that that would limit your opportunities but it does and when it does it hurts mm-hmm. so yeah noor I'm so sorry, though, that your dad had to experience that and, like, you had to see it firsthand as how it might have impacted him. Um, I think there's a tendency in um, the Western world to consider everyone to be equals and say, well, color doesn't matter. We don't see color. And I think that um, dismisses the reality of a lot of people's experiences because, yes, you can be qualified at the exact same level as someone who is Caucasian, but mm-hmm. people in power have historically been non-racialized folks. And so when that is the stage that you are entering and you are a minority, you will always have to do yeah. more yeah. to be recognized. You'll have to do more to be to show that you are competent. Yeah. Um and that's an unfair burden that is unfortunately placed on minority folks. Um, to Malcolm's point that he made earlier about exposure, I do think that's such a big um, aspect to consider because your own life experiences also determine how um, you interact and view people. And unfortunately, a lack of exposure sometimes, a lack of exposure and misinformation um through so many resources because you're always being fed digital content can um, create a narrative in your mind and then you may develop prejudice and stereotypes about certain minority communities and that is a question of then exposure and when you do meet people who identify from within that community that can do a complete 360 shift about preconceived ideas that you might have so at that point it is so important to um, recognize your own biases and check your thoughts and then also approach that with a learning experience that some things you say may be uh, incorrect or harmful and then be open to that learning opportunity of this is not true or uh, how can I be better and supportive for this person as I am the person who has more um, of a privileged stance in this relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I really do appreciate, um, 
hearing personal experiences. I feel like when we hear from members in our, like, close circle, their experiences, it opens our eyes so much more to what happens behind closed doors or not even necessarily behind closed doors like it can happen right in front of our face and something that i might not think is prejudice or racist could could be absolutely racist to a black or racialized community member um so now to kind of shift into the second half of our podcast i think it's important that we talk about allyship Mm -hmm. so how can we be better allies to Black and racialized communities? Mm-hmm. And I think kind of Noor did um, touch on it a little bit um, briefly, how to be kind of a good ally to folks part of the Black and racialized communities, which is education. Um, the promotion of education um, is very important among, especially folks that are not part of racialized and um, other underserved communities. That is what is sort of going to catalyze change. Because um, when folks who do have racial privilege within our communities do not do the work to unlearn certain behaviors and get educated on certain topics, we will never see change because they are the folks in power. To Zoha's point um, about allyship, a huge part of it is choosing to actively unlearn thoughts that you may have that are harmful, but the other part is education, and there has to be a willingness to continue that education process and make sure that it's ongoing and it is um, from vetted sources and you are engaging with people of those communities to learn directly from them, not to place the burden of education on the person who is the minority in that instance, but it is okay to conversate with them or maybe asking for resources just to get that initial direction. And then also allyship looks so different for different people. And it's always good practice to ask how would you like to be supported for some people? They don't like um, others to who are not from within the community to speak on their behalf because that is their personal lived experiences. But for some other people, they may prefer that you speak up in an instance where um, there is an implicit um, racial comment that's being made. It's about flagging those things and also recognizing that your positionality in that room looks very different than the person who is um, from that minority community. And it may be difficult for them to... um, advocate for themselves so being that advocate and asking what allyship looks like and also making the active effort on yourself to um continue your education about this topic that's really important actually the advocacy piece is so 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 imperative um seeing folks from our peers who are white and are privileged take the initiative to advocate for our voices and um maybe the you know lack of privilege that we're experiencing in these spaces that they exist in is really really important and it's just it is a really i think it is like an essential part of allyship um and i've personally in my life have witnessed it and i see the difference it makes so yes well i think we have run out of time for today's episode (laughs) but 
I want to say a very special thank you to Zoe and Manure. It's so important that we hear voices of those who can represent um, racialized communities and who are willing to speak of speak out about your experiences. Mm-hmm. And we are very grateful to have you on our podcast. Yeah. As always, mm-hmm. you're both such intelligent women. Yes. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. And I mean, thank you for creating this space where we have the voice to discuss topic or topics. Yeah, it's like really these. important to have conversations like this amongst yeah. peers. Yeah. All Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's part of education, having these be it informal conversations to spread awareness yeah it starts in small groups that's like what we learned with Gemma. it starts in small groups and you got to sit with being uncomfortable be uncomfortable be comfortable with the uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and that's how we will continue to unlearn relearn and unlearn again and relearn again yeah well thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode and remember be kind to your mind and we'll see you next time Bye. bye bye